So as you can tell, we are kicking off this series today on grace and truth, and I have been feeling this in my spirit for some time now. Y'all, uh, if you've been coming here for any amount of time, you've been hearing me talk about this over the last couple months that this was coming. And if I'm being honest with you, I really feel like this is one of my assignments in the kingdom of God as a man of God, as a pastor, as a preacher, as somebody who gets the privilege to go around the nation and preach and preach here at this church and now that we have online and social media and all of those things people are hearing messages from this church all over the world through our podcast and through social media and all those a lot of church a lot of churches have the opportunity to do that now how many of you know all media isn't from the devil come on somebody god can use it as well and so uh, you know, God is is taking this message, and I really believe that this is an assignment that God has for me specifically to help the body of Christ to understand balance and to understand grace and truth, that there is this balancing act between the scandalous grace of God, but also the hard truth of God. How many of you know that there are some tough scriptures in the Bible? And if you didn't know, now you know, because you are fixing to hear a lot of them over the next couple of weeks. I mean, I am going to pull out some of the toughest scriptures in the Bible, and I am going to combine them with the most scandalous scriptures of grace all in one sermon. And we are going to dissect both because I really want to show you that Jesus is both and and not either or. Come on, somebody. Jesus is scandalous grace, but he is also hard truth. Jesus is willing to look a woman caught in adultery and tell her, get up and sin no more. Where are your accusers? I don't condemn you. Get up and sin no more. But he's also willing to look the Pharisees in the eye in Matthew chapter 23 and call them a brood of vipers. You, you, you're like whitewashed tombs. You're full of dead man's bones. You, you want to clean up the outside of the cup and dish. Come on. You, you will to put on a shirt and tie and wear your Sunday best and be at all the church services on Sundays and Wednesdays and you look the part but your heart is far from me. Jesus was tough y'all. Jesus made some very hard say he tells you that if you don't love him more than you love your own father and your mother you're not even worthy to attempt to follow him. I mean, Jesus says some hard things that we're going to go over over the next couple of weeks. But he also is is highly involved with scandalous grace. Amen. We in today's world, we tend to let pendulums swing from one side to the other. We have whole sects of westernized Christianity who think that these two are exclusive from one another. We have built denominations, doctrines, theologies, seminaries, and sects, uh, uh, and more by separating these truths from one another when they go hand in hand in this gospel that we preach. You cannot separate the two because when you do, you create a mess and a misrepresentation of God's kingdom. You do not get to separate the scandalous grace of God from the hard truths of God. When you do that, you create a mess and you misrepresent this gospel that we so know, that we so know love and preach that is able to change the lives of the hearers. Amen. Amen. 
You know, we have some folks that only want to talk about holiness and righteousness and the law and the rules and the structure that the Bible lays out for us to live a prosperous and a good life. The truth or sometimes the hard truths of scriptures is all that they know and it's all that they want to talk about, which leaves out the key ingredient that empowers you to walk out all those structures, rules, policies, and ways of living. Amen. And, and then we have some folks that they only want to talk about the grace of God and they use it as a pass for lawless behavior and the I can do what I want mentality and God loves me and he'll forgive me. He has foreknowledge, right? He remains. He knows that I was going to sin. He knew that I was going to do that. So why not just do that? God forgives me. He loves me, right? My salvation is secure. Come on, somebody. He, he, I, I, the Bible says that I'm in the palm of his hand and that nobody can pluck me from it. So, so my salvation is secure, right? Once saved, always saved, right? We'll deal with all these tough scriptures in the Bible in this series. Don't worry. We're going to see what the Bible says about it. Can I just say that? Over the next couple, we're going to go to the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about it. If it's in there, I'm going to preach it. I'm not going to give you my opinions. I'm not going to give you what I think about it. We're going to go to the scriptures and I'm going to see what God has to say about it. Because Jesus is the word. So if it's in this book... It's the way that he feels about it. It's the way that he set it up. We don't get to twist it up. We don't get to turn it up. We don't get to doctor it up. We don't get to sugar it up. We don't get to water it down. Come on, somebody. If it's in this book, it is plain and simple. And I'm going to preach it. And I'm going to teach it. And we're going to encounter it. And in return, it will change us and change our lives and our destinies. And God will use it for your good and his glory glory and this world can be turned upside down through it ah come on I want to challenge us too because that type of misrepresentation of God's grace is easy to spot out you know those people that try to use the grace of God for for sin and greasy grace and all of those things what is more challenging and dangerous to spot out is the person who uses the grace of God, not so much for sin, but for religiosity and piety that says, because of the grace of God, I have nothing left to do. It's quiet in here. Come on, they skip over the chapters like faith and works in the book of James and they make excuses and they have no relationship or intimacy with God because they've been handpicked by God. Come on, the frozen chosen. Some of y'all know who I'm talking about. They use the election and the grace of God that is available to them as religious fascism and turn it into a club that they are in and others are not. Mm. So we're going to have this little discussion over the next couple of weeks and see what the word of God has to say about all of this. Let's see what Jesus, who is the word, has to say about all of this. We're going to see what grace and truth really are telling us. We will dive into the scriptures to find out how to walk in balance and the balance of grace and in the balance of truth. Because grace and truth are not exclusive, but grace and truth are complementary. If you're ready to go on this journey with me, touch a neighbor and tell them, here we go, here we go, here we go. 
So here we go. <laughs> what is grace and truth? Grace, by biblical definition, is defined as this. It is unmerited favor, having received mercy, but not just Mercy, but a blessing and a level of favor added to it. See, when you get the you get the mercy of God. See, the mercy of God is simply you not getting what you deserve. Come on, somebody. But the grace of God is you not getting what you deserve. Plus, you get something in return. Ah, come on, somebody. I've told y'all this story before what I did with my son, but my son got caught up in some sin and he kept making mistakes and and kept acting crazy and we done did everything we've grounded them we whooped them I mean we just you know I beat them half to death come on somebody <laughs> but but none of it was working and and one day I just had this epiphany from a, a mentor of mine that had taught this lesson to his child and I read it in a book and I said I'm gonna do this so what what the what the story was is that his, his daughter had made a mistake, and he said, this is going to be an opportunity to teach about grace versus mercy. And so he sat his daughter down, just like I sat my son down, and, and I said, I'm going to teach you a lesson right now. I'm not going to give you mercy. I'm going to give you grace. So our son is in the middle of his sin. He's in the middle of his mistake. And I sat him down. I, he was already grounded. I said, I'm taking you off all of your grounding, giving you your phone back, and I'm I, I, I'm, I, you know, all of this is going to be taken care of. And then I not only did that, but I handed them a hundred dollar bill. Come on, somebody that hurt. <laughs> but I, it was a teaching moment right there because mercy would have been just me giving him what he didn't deserve. But grace is something greater. Grace is you getting something in return that you didn't deserve. See, the grace of God says you're not only you're not only acquitted, but I'm going to give you righteousness. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Come on. Uh, it, it, the grace of God says you're not only forgiven, but he who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So what that is saying is that you didn't just get mercy, you got grace. You not only are forgiven, but you've been empowered. You are not only forgiven, but I have given you a tool and I've given you some fuel and now you can actually begin to live right because when you look back on this stuff and you say man I am jacked up I am messed up but God still loves me and he not only loves me he has forgiven me and he's given me a tool and my belt to look back on my past and see the mercy and the grace of a good God and his kindness leads to repentance and now that his kindness has led to repentance I cannot just say I'm sorry but I can actually change the way that I think about it and understand that the grace of God will also empower me not to go back to what I was doing. All right, I'm feeling better. I'm feeling better. Ah, truth by definition of this. This is the body is a body of real things. It's events and facts. It is actuality. Also defined as a state of being. Hence, Jesus is truth. There is no lie. There is no deception in him. Also a transcendent or fundamental spiritual reality. Let me give an example of this. In the text we opened up with, it says that the law came through Moses, 
but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So if we are talking about a fundamental spiritual reality through this text and how Jesus shifts it from law into a truth, this is how it would play out. See, the law of Moses had all kind of rules and standards and regulations. One, one, one that people, you know, they, they, they get caught up on all the time is that, you know, you would be in some serious trouble if you would mix fabrics in the Old Testament and under the Old Testament law. So the law of Moses says don't mix fabrics, but the truth of Jesus says it was never about the fabrics. I was trying to teach you something about mixture. See, there's a real truth there. There is a truth there. It's not about the fabric. It's that God is trying to give you a tangible, physical expression to show you. Because how many of you know God knows that we are but dust? He knows our frame like I preached out of Psalm 103 last week. I mean, he knows that you are mud. He knows you a dirt bag. Come on, somebody. He knows that your frame. He knows that you came from the dust. Come on. And so he tries to help us out by giving us tangible and physical things things to look at first so that we can see the bigger picture that is behind it, the spiritual truth. Amen. Amen. The law says don't taste, don't touch, don't look, don't eat certain things or you won't be right with God. But grace and truth says I've created it all, but balance is the key. Truth says not all things will kill you, but not all things are beneficial to you. Law says, follow this and try this to be right with God. Grace and truth says, I fulfilled all of this so that you are right with God and in return can live it out physically, becoming what I said that you already are. So here we go. Scandalous grace. I'm going to read a little bit of the Bible. Is that all right? All right. Here we go. John chapter eight. I'm going to read you a story. So now early in the morning, he came into the temple and all the people came to him. John chapter eight, verse two. And he sat down. It'll be on the screen, I think. And he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Oh, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught. Touch a neighbor and tell them she got caught. In the very act, whoa, in the very act, my goodness. Now Moses in the law commanded us that, we should, that she should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when Jesus continued, so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to him, he who is out sin among you, let him throw the first stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman was standing there in his midst. When Jesus saw and raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. 
He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but have the light of life. I want to take just a couple of moments to talk to some people who've been caught before. Uh, Yeah, come on, somebody. I said I want to talk to some people for a second who've been caught before. Come on, if you don't have any mistakes in your past and you've never needed the grace of God, I ain't talking to you. Sit down, be quiet, stay in your corner, mind your business. I'll deal, I want to deal with the real folk for just a second. Amen. But let me be honest, we all need some scandalous grace in our lives. We have all been in need of the scandalous grace in our lives. This right here is Jesus, y'all. This is grace and truth in action because this wasn't a rumor mill. Y'all ain't saying nothing. This wasn't a gossiping old lady guessing what she might have been up to. Come on. she. W- this wasn't one of them I think she might be type of situations or I think that she could be. No, the Bible says that she was caught in the very act. The religious folks, by the way, They knew what she was up to. They were waiting in the bushes till the man shows up. And they're sitting there watching all of this take place until the deed commences so that they can catch her in the very act. Come on, ain't that just like some religious folks? They call you out on your stuff, but they pervert sitting there watching the whole thing unfold. Don't don't worry, we're going to deal with some religious folks in a minute. But they set her up. They're not trying to stop her. They're not trying to encourage her and tell her to turn and move from this stuff and move from this lifestyle and go in a different direction but she is caught she is as caught as caught can get come on somebody in this moment she is in need of grace and mercy she is in need of some hard truth that is strong enough to pull her up out of her mess come on I want to talk to some people that been caught before is there anybody that's just been caught before in your mess? Is there anybody who has been caught red-handed in your mess? I want to talk to some people who understand that if it had not been for the Lord on your side, if it had not been for a good God, if it had not been for a gracious Savior that reached down in the sand and in the dirt and met you where you was at, you would not be here today. You wouldn't be sitting in this church today. You might be in a cell today. You might be divorced today. You might be this or you might be that if God had not met you where you was. Come on, if there had not been a good and a gracious God, you'd still have that needle stuck in your arm or that bottle put to your lips. If it had not been for a good and gracious God, you'd still be a womanizer. Come on, somebody. If it had not been for an encounter with the grace of God, you'd still be violent, lying, cheating, stealing, and acting crazy. If it had not been for the grace of God, your attitude would still be ugly, nasty, and mean. Come on, somebody. If it had not been for the grace of God, your speech and negativity would have taken you taking you out. I want to talk to some people who know that if it had not been for the grace of God, you'd still be in a mess. Hallelujah. She isn't just caught, but she is caught in a crowd. The woman caught in the act of adultery, she is not just caught but she is caught in a crowd come on this thing has gone public her mistake has went viral this thing has 
happened in front of a crowd and Jesus has shown up. Let me just say this about scandalous grace. Sure, it can happen in private and in a room, but it usually shows up in a crowd. It usually shows up when things have gone public. The scandalous grace of God can lift you up in private, but it will also lift you up in public. Come on. Has anybody ever made a public mistake? Come on. You did it in front of everybody. You did it for everybody to see. Come on. It made it on Facebook. It made it on Instagram, and you was embarrassed. But don't worry. You're in good company because God uses the public mistake to show scandalous grace and he uses public mistakes to poke and pry at the religious establishment come on I know we like to get on some of these mega preachers and pastors who make mistakes but I don't know if you realize this or not that is an opportunity for God to display scandalous grace when these people are restored he can show scandalous grace to a person who is authentic and truly repentive come on I, I know that, that not all of us are in the public eye and it's easy to look and point your finger at somebody in the public eye and say man they shouldn't have done that and man they shouldn't have done this it's real easy to point fingers with somebody who's in the public and who's living their life in a glass bowl but I came to encourage you today don't forget where you came from either don't forget where God found you either don't forget what you've done in private either come on the scandalous grace of God is an opportunity for him to display his grace and in return knock down the religious establishment that says I'm better than you because I didn't get caught come on we in the church have got to get past this place where we can look and point fingers and be judgmental at one another forgetting what God brought you out of Y'all have heard me say this a lot here, but I'm going to tell you the worst people to be around is those who have forgotten what God has done for them. Let me tell you something right now. The people who forget where God brought them out of, they always end up back there. I'm off the notes, but do you realize that this woman is, I, I, I had in my studies thought that this woman was probably somebody different, but I was I'm, I'm pretty sure, about 95% sure, that I am now convinced that this woman is actually Mary Magdalene. The theologians and, and scholars, they're, they're, they're split on this. But if you look at the overall body of work, see, she was probably demon-possessed too. And this is, see, Jesus came to fulfill the law. He wouldn't go against it. So, so you got to understand, and I, I don't have my, my, my scripture reference, but un, un, uh, unknowing sin is probably what saved a lot. She was probably demon-possessed. Mary Magdalene was, had seven demons cast out of her. She had seven demons cast out of her, and, and she was also a prostitute. This is the sister of Lazarus and Martha I ain't got time to unpack all of this. What I'm just trying to tell you and show you is that the level of transformation that this lady has is because of the scandalous grace of God. 
It wasn't because she thought that she had it all together. It was because her life was so jacked up that she got delivered, she got healed, she got set free, and she became the first woman evangelist, come on somebody, that said he is risen. She ran from that tomb and told all the other disciples, she told the men who were hiding, by the way, that Jesus is risen. Like the level of transformation, y'all, see, scandalous grace, thank you Holy Spirit, it is the thing that fuels a true transformation. When people don't truly transform, it's because they have no revelation of authentic grace. True transformation comes from an encounter with scandalous grace. Scandalous grace. She's caught in a crowd. She's caught in a crowd. He uses it to show them that this isn't about them, but about his grace, kindness, and goodness. And that as good as they think they are, they, they need a savior as well. That's why he saved this woman. That's why he used the apostle Paul who says, I am the chief of sinners. Y'all don't understand. I've done it all. I've been messed up. I have made the gravest of mistakes. And that's why God is even using me. Because of the scandalous grace of God, he is used. Third thing I want to show you here, the law says this, but what do you say? They come to Jesus and say, the law says this, but what do you say? They didn't even know it, but this question is an incredible teaching moment for the shift that is about to take place in establishing the new covenant. This question really is, the law says this, but what does grace and truth say? The law says this, but what does grace and truth say? So let's take a minute to look at some of the things that are happening in this text because there are some incredible nuggets. Truth is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'm going to let you in on my mind and the way that I think sometimes. So hear me out on this. The Pharisees bring him this lady who is caught in the act and they tell him what the word says. They tell him what the word says. The word says stone her. Come on. This is that Old Testament Christianity, y'all. We got some Old Testament Christians in the house. Come on, somebody. I ain't going to look at you, Courtney. I'm just kidding. That's a running joke here at the church. She's not Old Testament. She will not stone you. She might suplex you, but she won't stone you. <laughs> she will hang clean you. Wow. All right. But, you know, I, I, I'll be honest. I, I'm a word guy. I, I'm a word guy. Like, I'm simple. Like, if it's in this book, like, I, I want it. I believe it. I know it to be true. So, so I'm a word guy. So for me, in my mind, I'm, 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 I'm kind of I'm struggling as I read this text because the Pharisees come to Jesus and, and they're like, oh, we got him now. And I'm thinking, oh, snap, they might actually have him now. I mean, Jesus is even stooped down in the ground and he's not even paying attention to them and he's not even responding to them and, and I'm just being honest y'all I'm giving you giving you a little insight into my mind because I'm sitting there thinking I bet Jesus is praying to the father like oh snap dad <laughs> Lord they 
do they got us? What do I need? Because he never did or said anything that the father did not instruct him to do or say. So I'm thinking in this moment, maybe he's pausing and having this discussion with the father. Like, like Lord, this, this, Father, this, this is our standard. This lady is participating in wickedness and evil. God, God this, this is our standard. Like, what do you want me to do in this situation? In my mind, I'm thinking that Jesus might be buying time to hear from the Father and hear how he would handle this situation. But how many of you know I'm dumb? Come on, somebody. <laughs> and wrong. And that's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is kneeling down in the dirt intentionally, and he's writing with his finger in this moment. Jesus is not stumped. He's up to something. Jesus is not stumped. He's up to something. You know, there are a lot of opinions and theories on what Jesus is doing here. But let's go to the word. Jeremiah 17 and 33 says this. 13 says this. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed. And they that depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Here Jeremiah is prophesying of the Messiah to come and gives us this nugget. nugget. I submit to you that in this moment that Jesus is writing down their names in the crowd. And he is writing the sins that they have committed and shamefully uh, uh, putting them and exposing them in this public setting. And one by one, they drop their stones from the oldest to the youngest and they walk away with a fresh revelation of grace that is saving this woman and that is saving them as well. Because the hard truth is, they are just as bad as her, yet they have not gotten what they have deserved. Can I submit to you something challenging about the grace of God? I submit to you this, and it's challenging about the grace of God, but it, only, it not only reveals that you are forgiven. The grace of God not only reveals that you are forgiven and, and gives you some ooey-gooey feelings and lets you know that you're right with God, but the grace of God is also a healthy reminder of how messed up and jacked up you are and that you as well are in need of a loving, kind Savior who has forgiven you and called you and redeemed you and chosen you. There is significance to the dirt and him and his finger. Jesus is taking them back prophetically to Mount Sinai. Jesus is taking them back prophetically to Mount Sinai. It is his finger that has pinned the Ten Commandments that he that they are trying to weaponize against this woman. He was showing them that the author gets to interpret and make the judgment on what it is that he has written. Because he was about to pay for the sins of the world. He was the only one worthy to judge her for her sins. They are looking at the text in the Bible but forgetting the other part of the book that says his mercy triumphs over his judgment. 
that he makes the sunrise on the just and the unjust. Amen. Watch this. That a half truth is a whole lie. See, here we go. Dang, yeah, here we go. You cannot take grace and separate it from truth because when you do, it becomes a whole lie. You, you cannot take hard truths and separate it from grace because when you do, it becomes a whole lie and it becomes a misrepresentation of what all of this Bible says. Come on, somebody. Like, we have got to understand that the scandalous grace of a good God helps us to walk out the truth. And when we try to separate the two, you will 100% of the time end up in trouble. Don't miss this either. He's writing in the dust. We are created from the dust, right? The Bible says from the dust we came and to the dust that we shall return. In this moment, he is doing what is prophesied by the writer Jeremiah as well when he says that there is coming a day that I will write my law on tablets of flesh instead of tablets of stone. That dirt represents you and I, my friends, because we are the dirt. We are that flesh. Amen. And grace and truth have been written in the dirt of our heart to not forget the ugly and the nasty things that he has saved us from as well. Grace will make you feel good because you're forgiven, but it will also remind you of what he has forgiven you of. This is an incredible moment in the scriptures where God uses all of these prophetic things to show the people something. It has been written on the tablet of your heart, a.k.a. it's been ingrained in your memory to keep you humble and know it's not about you, but it's about the scandalous grace of God of why you're able to do anything that you were able to do. Y'all all right? Now watch this. Point four, the power of grace. Grace is extremely powerful because grace removes accusations. Grace is extremely powerful because it removes accusations. The accusations of man, the accusations of the enemy, the accusations of your own conscience and your own mind. Come on. The accusations of, watch this, even God himself. The fact of the matter is, is that she is caught. She has done it. God would be justified in dealing with her according to her sin, but God chooses not to. Amen. Hence, Jesus says, where are your accusers? Oh, nobody's here to condemn you. Guess what? I don't either. Boom. Grace. Grace. Don't miss this. Now go and sin no more. Now go and sin no more. Y'all hear me say this all the time. A true and fresh revelation of grace empowers you to actually live right. Yeah, come on somebody. I said grace, a true revelation of it actually empowers you to live right. When you look back on your life and you see and you know and you understand. By the way, you were there with all the stuff that you've done. Uh, you remember, right? Don't catch amnesia on this stuff. Come on. If you'll look back, it's a, it, 
There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which allows you to look back from time to time and remember where he brought you from. See, the grace of God and understanding where God brought you from is like jet fuel for righteousness. It's like jet fuel for righteous living. You understand that 1 John says, here's the CMV version. Y'all hear me say this all the time, too. I'm just recapping everything I say all the time, all my little sayings. But don't get it twisted. Those who are righteous, those who practice righteousness are righteous. What he is saying is, is that you are what you live out is what you are. What you live out is what you are. Let me make it real simple. If you're constantly just living in sin all the time and you're constantly continuing to do things that you know God has called you to come out of, guess what? You are a sinner. You, you are a sinner and you need the grace and the love of God to pull you up out of it. But he also, he, he's telling us too that if you understand grace, that it can become like jet fuel for right living. When you look back on your life and you realize, man, I did all of those things, but he still calls me redeemed. I did all of those things. I participated in all of that mess. I participated in all of that junk. But yet he who knew no sin became sin that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Everything that was in his bank account got transferred into my bank account the moment that I said yes and put my trust and my faith in him. When you realize how jacked up and how messed up you are and have been, it is like jet fuel to say, no, I am done disappointing my father. There comes a time where you've got to draw a line in the sand and it doesn't mean that you'll be perfect but it does mean that you can wake up every morning and and stop waiting to fail but when your feet hit the ground you say I'm gonna do what God has told me to do today I'm gonna be who God has told me to be he already says this is who I am the scriptures say that, that, that you are that you are redeemed the scriptures say that you're blameless you're holy and you're righteous Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1. If you are in Christ, the Bible says that about you. Why don't your life look like it? It's because if, if it doesn't, it's because you don't believe that. You can never become what you do not believe. This stuff has got to in, hit you internally. And in return, it will produce a crop outwardly which I'm getting to in a second from Matthew chapter 23. But if this word, if this seed of this ever hits your heart, it will produce a crop and a harvest. Amen. Unto righteousness. Amen. Y'all okay? I'm almost done. Here we go. Grace empowered her. The reason Jesus said go and sin no more is because of this encounter with grace. Her encounter will be the fuel that keeps her going. Watch this. The same grace that saved her will be the same grace that keeps her. The same grace that saved her is the same grace that keeps her. While I'm here, just let me deal with this one. You, you don't have to get saved every other week, y'all. I remember when I was a kid, I got saved every other week. So I was scared. The rapture was fitting to happen. Every time my mama went missing, I'd be like, oh, Lord, I done missed it. 
She's out of the kitchen. She's somewhere in the backyard. I was like, Mama! <laughs> the, the grace of God that saves you is strong enough to keep you. I'm, I'm about to talk about some hard truths and righteousness for just a couple of seconds, but like, don't miss that either. The grace of God is way stronger and more powerful than you could ever imagine. Where grace, where sin does abound, grace does that much more abound. Amen. Now watch this, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to move on. It is Jesus' kindness that leads to repentance. That is a scripture in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. It says it is his kindness that leads to repentance. The kindness of this encounter with Jesus is what sparks this lady on to a relationship to absolutely and 100% dramatically change her life. Why, why don't we just follow the example of Jesus? It's quiet in here. Because when we see another brother or sister or somebody who is trapped in a lifestyle of craziness, I, I'm just going to help somebody today. The, the beating them across the head with this is not what's going to change them. That's right. That's right. This is a sword. But you're supposed to use it on the enemy. Not your brothers and sisters and not the lost. It is his kindness and his goodness that lead unto repentance. When you realize that Jesus can meet this woman caught in the very act of her sin and her craziness, that is what pushes her on to say, I can't keep living like this. She's caught in the act. Can I just help us today in the capital C church? People who are in sin know they're in sin. They're the ones living it out. When I knew, when I, when I was living in my mess, I knew my life was jacked up. I didn't need nobody to tell me. I was the one crying myself to sleep at night. I was the one wondering when I was going to prison. I was the one wondering when I was going to get killed or when I was going to kill somebody. I was the one who had no peace, who had no joy, who had no love, who had no compassion, who had no fruit of the Holy Spirit. I knew my life was jacked up. I needed somebody to come tell me about a loving God who has a grace and who was able to save me and change me and heal me and redeem me and set me free and put me on a whole new path and on a whole new way of living. It is the grace of God and the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Let me get to the hard truth. And it's real simple today. We're going to tackle some texts over the next couple of weeks that will be very challenging. But I find this one very easy to understand, and I hope that you do too. We've been talking about the grace of God, him meeting, Jesus meeting this woman in the midst of this situation. It's the scandalous grace of God. But there's also some hard truth in this text and the hard truth is this, is that Jesus hates religion that wants to give only half of the testimony. Only half of the scenario, only half of the problem, only, only deal with the surface instead of the deep thing that's causing the issue. I've got a whole message on issues to identity, and I talk about this in, in that message. We need to stop speaking to people's issues, and let's start speaking to the identity crisis on the inside of them that's producing the issues. 
The hard truth is that Jesus hates hypocrisy. The hard truth is that hypocrisy and religiosity is the quickest thing that will get you sent to hell, not adultery. Yeah, oh, it's quiet. Come on. We want to talk about sin and we want to talk about lying, cheating, stealing, adultery, fornication, lust and cussing and and acting crazy and violence and anger and murder and all those things. But we leave this off and it's the number one thing that Jesus rebukes in the Bible is the hypocrisy of the religious establishment that shows no grace and wants to uphold this standard that not even they are willing to live by. This is the hard truth. I'm preaching grace, but I'm also preaching hard truth. So this is going to step on the toes of some religious folks. But, but forgetting what God has done for you is the quickest way to end up in hell and separated from him. Manipulating the grace of God and forgetting the grace of God angers a righteous God. I, I'm just going to say this too because we don't talk about this. God can still get angry. Yes, he has poured his wrath out on Jesus Christ, and that's why the forgiveness is available to you and I. But let me tell you something right now. I just look at the life of Jesus, and I can back it up with Scripture. He gets angry when a religious, pious person who thinks that they are better than everybody, that is the thing that will get you sent to hell quicker than anything else. Matthew 23. Let me just read through some of these. I'm almost done. Y'all okay? I'm getting excited. I love messing with religious people. Get me to the scripture, Lord. Hallelujah. Here we go. Matthew chapter 23. This is the seven woes to the Pharisees. So we've talked about scandalous grace, but let's talk about the hard truth today and remember the contrasting of the two. So verse 13 says this. This is Jesus. He blessing out the Pharisees. Y'all watch it. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Jesus doing some name calling. Come on, somebody. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor nor do you allow people to go in. Religion shuts off the message of the kingdom. Religion shuts off the message of the kingdom. If you went to a Jesus conference and he was preaching all over the place, you you were qualified, you were guaranteed to hear him preach three messages. He was going to preach on the kingdom, number one. He was going to talk about hell, number two. And he's going to talk about your money. Those last two, we don't want to talk about in church no more. You start talking about people's money and their honey just gets real tight. Talk about that preacher after my money. No, that's not. Do you understand that money is the greatest thing that God has to see where your heart's really at? He uses it to actually see where your heart is really at. It it is a barometer for him to see how much you actually trust him. It's crazy to me. Me and my wife are talking about that. It's paper. It's paper. But religion shuts off. But what is the message of the kingdom? The message of the kingdom is the values, customs, and culture of heaven that Jesus' plan was for it to invade the earth. Amen. So it it shuts off this message, meaning that the religious people don't understand it, and they stop everybody else from understanding it. Let me just put it like this. There are kingdom people, and then there are Christians. Oh, come on, somebody. I said there are people of the kingdom, 
And then there are people, they're Christians. You understand that being a Christian doesn't get your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Christianity, that's just a sect of a, a religion. But relationship with God, get your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Come on, many will say to me on that day, Lord, didn't I do this? I prophesied, I spoke in tongues, I cast out devils, I did this, I went to church, I tithed, I, I had good attendance, I did this, I did. Depart from me. I don't even know who you are, you worker of lawlessness. It's about relationship. And these people, these religious people, they're, they're all cool with they're all cool with wearing their shirt and their tie and their suit to church. They put their tithe in that bucket, but yet they have no relationship. But this is what the Pharisees were. Oh, help me, Lord. I, I need to leave people alone, but I'm about to just go there. I seen this picture. This is a pastor. He posted this picture the other day, and it just rose something up in me. Help me, Lord. But he had all these preachers lined up, and there were some that had suits on, and they looked to the T. And then and there was another row that had all these preachers that dressed like me. Sometimes they wore T-shirts and, and stuff like that. And in this post, it was literally criticizing the way that they were dressing. Not what they were preaching. Not, not what they were preaching, not that they were heretics or, or not that, that, that what they were preaching was craziness or lawlessness, but what they were wearing. I couldn't help but get in the comment section. Most of the time I stay out of the comment section, but sometimes I get in the comment section. And I, I just left the scripture there. I said, have you read John 7, 24? As, Do not judge by appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Meaning don't look at the tattoos, don't look at the t-shirt, don't look at the shirt and tie. All of those things are irrelevant. Don't look at what shoes they got on, don't look at this, don't look at that. No, judge the way that they live and how they love and how they forgive and do they represent Christ Jesus and have they had this encounter with grace and mercy that has changed them. Stop looking at all the outward stuff. Stop looking at the outside of the cup and dish, but look at the inside of the cup up and dish which qualifies them to whether they are clean or they are not somebody pin this time so I can face I can screen record that and post it on Facebook <laughs> Lord help me I gotta go I gotta go woe to you scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites you devour widows houses and pretense and make long prayers and receive a greater condemnation religion takes advantage of the spiritually weak they manipulate people who lack knowledge and try to pull them into their corner that they try to pull them into their corner into their line of thinking into their denomination or into their doctrine etc they travel watch this and for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte and when he is one you make him twice a son of hell as you yourself are these are the people that take uh, young Christians or people who get saved and they try to go uh, proselytize them and, and get them into their corner. Come on. You, you need to be a part of this. You need to be a part of this way of thinking. You need to be a Calvinist. You need to be an Arminius. You need to be a Baptist. You need to be a Methodist. You need to be this. You need to be that. And they take spiritually immature people and they, and they take advantage of them and try to pull them into their line of thinking. And Jesus says, you're a hypocrite. This is tough. This is tough teaching, y'all. He says, you're a hypocrite and you're making that person twice as son of hell as you. 
I know. It's tough, ain't it? It's tough. Then he goes into verses 16. Woe to you blind gods. Whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold in the temple, he's obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. This is Jesus speaking. You know little passive, passive hippie Jesus that loves everybody and loves everything. And, you know, you know, he doesn't ever call anything out. But you fools who are blind. For which is greater, the temple or the one that sanctifies the temple, the uh, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, he's talking about what they're saying. Whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he's obliged to perform it. Fools and blind. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and all things on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God that sits on it. Swearing. This whole thing about swearing. Jesus just makes this one simple. He says, stop swearing. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Religious, hypocritical people They are always trying to prove themselves by how much they can make it happen. Jesus says, stay away from this. Verse 23, watch this one. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay tithe off of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done. Without leaving the others undone, blind gods who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. I love this one because I love messing with people that are like, the tithe is not in the New Testament. (laughs) Not only is it in the New Testament, but Jesus said it. Let me, I'm going to, I'm going to mess with this and then I'm going to move on. These you ought to have done. You tithe, you tithe off a of mint. You t- they would take a tenth of the salt on their table and push it to the side and say, this is for the glory of God. I mean, ridiculous. They would take a tithe off of every little thing, and they're missing the whole point. And Jesus says, you ought to tithe. That, that's just kingdom. That's just, this is, that's the simple stuff. But while you're doing the simple stuff, don't forget to do the important stuff. Don't forget mercy and faith and justice. Don't forget the important things. Religion takes the simple stuff And it makes it harder. And Jesus hates it. Tithing, you ought to do. That's simple. But you'll put an emphasis on tithing over walking out in faith and love and mercy. And God doesn't care if you tithe and you follow all the rules. But you have no love, mercy, faith, compassion. And that you have a heart that reflects God. It makes him, it just, it actually ticks him off. When you can look the role, but you don't play the part. Verses 31 through 33. Where's it at? Where's it at? Therefore, you are witnesses against yourself. You are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measures of your father's guilt. Serpents and brood of vipers. Jesus doing a little name calling. You, You serpents. And brood of vipers, watch this. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? (laughs) 
scandalous grace, but hard truth. Do y'all know that hell is still real? Did y'all know that hell is still hot? Did y'all know that the Bible and Jesus says that hell is where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth? Hell is the absence of God. And his, he's not there. And you are separated from him for an eternity. If you don't put your faith and your trust in him. And he, this is hard truth. He says, if you want to be a religious person that wants to act like you got it all together on the outside, but on the inside you are filthy, you will not escape the condemnation of a place that wasn't even created for you. Mm. If you don't let grace clean you up, can I get some help on the keys, Caleb? I just need some help on the keys today. Hell is still real. Hell is still hot. There's going to be people there. Jesus says, I can deal with your stuff. I can put up with it. I can clean your mess up. But when you don't let me clean you from the inside out, I've got a problem. If you don't let grace clean you up and you try to do it in your own effort, you're going to only clean the outside, and I don't need the outside of the cup and dish clean. I need the inside of the cup and dish clean. If the inside is clean, the outside will also be clean. Can I just say this about grace? Grace is an inside job. The grace and the mercy of God is an inside job. Because when the grace and mercy of God hit your heart and you realize that he really did save you and you realize that he does call you righteous, blood-bought, redeemed, chosen, when you realize how good he's been, when you realize about his kindness and his goodness is there and available to you, it cleans you up from the inside out. It's an inside job. Grace and truth go hand in hand. He looks the woman in the eye and says, go and sin no more. Do you want to know what Jesus is doing in this moment? Jesus is doing, he is affirming the fact that she's messed up. He's telling her the truth. But it is the truth that qualifies her to change. Because when she realized the truth is that I have done this. But also the truth is that I am forgiven. And when the combination of the two come together, church. When you understand the grace of God. It makes you walk out the truth of God. Everything in this Bible that God asks of you. Because there's some, there's some hard, we're going to get to it over the next couple weeks, but there are some hard things that God asks the believer to do. But we serve a good God, and God will never ask you to do something. He will not give you the power to complete. God doesn't tell you to love your enemies and then not give you the ability to do it. 
God doesn't tell you to forgive and then not give you the ability to forgive. God does not tell you to repent and renew your mind without giving you the ability to renew your mind. He gave you this word. This is how you renew your mind right here. This is how you change the way that you think. This is how you get to a place of repentance. Grace and truth are not exclusive. Grace and truth are complementary. 